Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much as we've been reminded already of your great love for us. On the day when we celebrate our dads and fatherhood, we are reminded that you are the ultimate father, the loving father, the gracious father who has sent your son Jesus into the world to die for sinners such as us, that by repentance and faith in Christ, we can be forgiven, we can be rescued from hell and condemnation, we can enter into a beautiful, joyful relationship with you where we cry out, Abba, Father, Father, thank you that you have adopted us into your family by faith in Jesus and given us eternal life. We pray that this morning we would be reminded of the high call and responsibilities of what it means to be a father and to invest into our families. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 13 and 14 is our text for this morning. The title of this morning's message is A Father's Day Charge. A Father's Day Charge. And I'm very excited this morning for a special day when we get a, a chance to celebrate fathers and fatherhood. And um, it's always a joy for me to do that. And I realize that Father's Day for most of us is a day that we maybe perceive with, with some mixed emotions. It can be a, sweet, a bittersweet time for so many of us. I recognize that. Not only that, but when you talk about pastors and preachers and all of that, um, if we even dare to preach a Mother's Day message or a Father's Day message, um, we realize that we have a very unique challenge in front of us as pastors on Father's Day. You know, most pastors will either preach what I call a attaboy message, right? Where we just talk about how great we are as dads and how great we are as fathers and we give each other a pat on the back and then we go home, right? Other pastors preach a message that I like to call the, you're a worthless maggot dad, right? <laughs> Where we sort of walk away feeling like there's nothing we've done right ever and there's nothing we will ever do right, okay? So those are the two extremes and I want you to know that my aim is to do neither of those this morning, all right? I'm not going to do either of those two types of messages. You know what my aim this morning is, dads, fathers? It's to encourage you, to exhort you as fathers. And I want you to know that I do so as a fellow dad, as a fellow man. I want to put... I want you and I to put our arm around one another, so to speak, and maybe the dad next to you or whatever, so to speak, and, and, and walk together on this path of fatherhood this morning that we are on and, and be reminded of the joy that it is to be a dad, and yet at the same time, the responsibility that it is to be a father that we ought to be pursuing with fear and trepidation before the Lord. I'm also motivated, I want you to know, by love and appreciation for you. Because I'm a father also, a father of six, five on earth and one in heaven. And my wife and I were parents of children as well, young and older. And I understand then something of the victories of being a dad and equally some of the discouragements of falling short as a father, as a dad. And so I want you to know that my aim is to lovingly exhort you in your God-given role and responsibilities as a father and for the rest of us, I also want to remind us that, that in a sense, this is a message for all of us as a church. We need to be aware of the fact that the role of the father 
is, being, is under attack in our culture, in case you haven't noticed. Satan loves nothing more than broken homes that are fatherless homes. And so as a church, we need to be praying together. Today is a reminder that we need to be praying for fathers, that we would have strong, godly, um, engaged dads in godly homes. And if you're an older man, this morning is a reminder too that even if your children are no longer under your roof directly, if they've, they're long gone, this is a reminder this morning that you need to be investing in yourself into young dads, into young men, to one day be godly fathers. Your job is not done. You need to be a disciple-making disciple in the area of fatherhood and, and training dads to be lovers of their wives and lovers of their children to lead and shepherd their kids. And you can do this, let me remind you, even knowing your own past shortcomings. Because we need one another. None of us measures up to the perfect Heavenly Father. Amen, dads? And so even with our shortcomings, we can come alongside of each other and invest into one another. So if you're part of God's church, this is a message for all of us. No one exempt. But I especially want to direct these encouragements, these exhortations to dads, me included. And so here are five loving encouragements, five loving exhortations for us as fathers on this special day that we call Father's Day. Exhortation number one. Loving encouragement number one. Fathers, dads, Christians, be alert. Be an alert father, men. This is the first of five rapid-fire commands, imperatives that the Apostle Paul gives to the church at Corinth at the very end of his letter here in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. The first of five imperatives, five commands. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to instruct the Corinthian churches on issues that they were struggling with and correct their thinking so that they would live godly lives and, and walk in unity and make sure that they were walking consistently with the will of God. And as he closes out his letter now, he gives these five rapid-fire imperatives or commands that they ought to keep in mind. And the first one is to be alert in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 16. Be on the alert, he says. Boy, more than ever before, in our lifetime, we need Christians to be alert. Amen? We need men who are alert. We need dads and fathers who are alert. We need mothers and moms to be on the alert. And the idea here is to be watchful, to be vigilant, to be on guard, to not be caught spiritually slumbering, spiritually indifferent to the Christian life. This is a wake-up call. As opposed to Remaining asleep in the Christian life. And this exhortation here of being on the alert often appears in contexts which speak of the return of Christ, thus a sense of urgency. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4-6, through 6, we read this, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober or self-controlled. Paul says, in light of the imminent return of Christ, make sure that you are ready, that you are vigilant, that you are spiritually awake, he says. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, we read these words. Devote yourselves to prayer, and here it is, keeping alert 
in it, in prayer, with an attitude of thanksgiving. You want to know one of the, one of the marks of a spiritually alert Christian is? You will be a praying Christian. You want to know one of the marks of a spiritually alert father? You will be a father who is praying for your family and praying for yourself and praying for the church. Praying men are spiritually alert men because we need God every step of the way. It's also here a call to watchfulness and alertness in light of a hostile and vicious enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we read these words, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith. Why should we be on the alert? Because we have a spiritual enemy, a deadly enemy who wants to bring you down, dads, fathers, mothers, Christian. And so, fathers, this spiritual warfare is a reality. That's the need for us urgently to be alert. In fact, the Christian father has no shortage of enemies in the Christian life or in this world. We have Satan, but then we also have the world system that is our enemy. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We have enemies. Two more of our deadly enemies. There, the world and the flesh. And so we should be on the alert, all of us, but especially this morning for us dads, because we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have a personal enemy, our lust, our evil desire, because we are not perfected yet, men. Therefore, the things that we want from prevailing sinful hearts are still things that push us away from the will of God in the way that we shepherd our family. So we have a personal enemy. We have a spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil, the father of lies, the one who disguises himself as an angel of light. And we have an ideological enemy, the world system in which we live, the world system of ideas, evil ideas, raised up against the knowledge of Christ, as His Word reveals. All of this, the world, the flesh, and the devil, requires that we be alert fathers. And so men, I want to ask you as your fellow dad this morning, are you walking alertly? Are you walking alertly? And and this begins, doesn't it, with being alert and watchful for what's going on in your own heart. What you are coddling in your thinking. What enters and you allow to enter your thinking. We must be careful more than ever about technology which competes with our priorities with all of the wonderful benefits of technology. We must be careful with technology that competes with our priorities, brothers. With frivolous habits that compete with our time, that compete for attention to our family. Man, we need to be watchful concerning ourselves. We also need to be alert or watchful about what's going on in our home. What's going on with our children? What's going on with our families? What are they reading? What are they watching? How are they thinking through life? How are they processing, especially in unprecedented times, 
How are your children, young and older, processing everything that's going on in the world around us? We need to be engaged fathers who are alert and watchful as far as the things going on in the hearts of our kids by asking open-ended questions. What do you think about that little Timmy? What do you think about that Sarah? How does that make you feel when you watch those things in society? We need to get to the heart of our children to help them think and process through things that they see around them right now. So dads, are you alert? Are you alert? You know, some men go through life living quite passively. They've abdicated their role and responsibilities. They say, well, my wife is a very capable wife. And you know what? That very well may be. For those of us, all of us who have very capable, gifted wives, it would be so easy for us when they love and support us so much, to just abdicate our roles and responsibilities because you know what? They got it taken care of. But dads, in love, I encourage you this morning, leading and shepherding your family is first and foremost whose job and responsibility? The father. Dads. That goes for me and that goes for you. So how are you doing in this area, men, dads? Are you tuned in to what's going on in your home? Are you asleep on the wheel, AWOL? Or are you an alert, engaged father? And again, I encourage you and come alongside of you as brother to brother, man to man, dad to dad, father to father. Loving exhortation number two. Be firm. Be firm. Notice verse 13. Stand firm in the faith. I love it. This is a brother, and you know who you are, who almost every single time he sees me in some major event here at the church, especially Sunday mornings, one of the first things he'll always ask me is, hermano, firme? Brother, are you standing firm? And I love that. It's a reminder that I need to be standing firm by the grace of God in the Christian life. Dads, are you standing firm in the faith? The idea here is that you're a man who is holding your ground, who is characterized by stability in the Christian life. Paul, a faithful shepherd, desired such stability in the Thessalonian church that he wrote this to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. For now we really live, says the Apostle Paul, to the sheep at Thessalonica, if you stand firm in the Lord. Our desire and our passion, says the The shepherd, Paul, is that you be firmly rooted in Christ. I submit to you that is the heart of any faithful shepherd, elder, pastor, right? That you stand firm in the Lord. It's the same idea in Colossians 2 and verse 6, which says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, in Christ, having been firmly rooted And now being built up in Christ and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And then he adds this. Here's the contrast to being rooted in Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Paul says, don't succumb to the unstable mindset, the slippery slope of worldly thinking. Stand firm, be rooted in Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't succumb to anything that draws you away from Jesus, from the gospel. Oh, there's 
So much today driving fathers away from Christ and away from their God-given roles and responsibilities. We see it all around us. There's the lie that there is that there's something out there better for you than loving your wife and loving your kids, of shepherding them, that there's something, someone out there better. That's a lie from hell. The lie that your presence, there's the lie that your presence and your involvement makes no difference really. What do I have to offer? Look at all of my failures. I might as well just be an absentee father or you're passive and you're not involved. That's a lie from hell, brothers. If God has in His amazing sovereignty and love and goodness and kindness put you in that home, your presence is indispensable in the lives of your kids. You need to be an engaged father. All of these are lies. Don't drink the poisonous Kool-Aid of this evil world system. Be grounded in Christ. Be stable in the truth and what God says in His Word. Did you notice in verse 13 that he says, stand firm in the what? In the faith. What faith? Well, he's referring to the, to the content of our faith, to the body of truth that is contained in the word of God, which would contain the, the gospel itself. Stand firm, in other words, in the word of God. Stand firm in the gospel, which teaches us as fathers that not only have we been rescued from the penalty of our sin, but also from sin's power and grip so that now, by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit, you can fulfill your God-given responsibilities as a father. Amen? Stand firm in that gospel. That gospel that is the truth. 1 Corinthians 15.1, the gospel, Paul says, which I preached to you, which also you received, you embraced it, in which also you stand. Stand firm in the gospel. Be grounded in the truth so that you're not susceptible to error. This is so important for all of us, but especially for we who are men, young and older. Because men, Jesus said, That to build our lives on anything but the Word of God and the Gospel is sinking sand. The foolish man or woman builds their house, their life, upon worldly ideologies. Destructive thinking fortresses and mountains of thinking. But the wise person builds their house on the rock of Christ and His Word. That person stands firm in the faith. This gets into the issue then of our priorities, doesn't it? Even as fathers, even as men who lead our homes. You know that so many men with well-intentioned hearts in an effort to be good providers of their home build their whole lives on accumulating possessions, houses, cars, making money, Success in their jobs and materialism become idols that they pursue rather than things that they can pursue and make money so that they could take care of their family, practice generosity, give to the Lord what belongs to Him. So many men do this. It's all about making money. It's all about success. They think to themselves, as long as I, my responsibility is to put food on the table with my family, and that's what it comes down to. As long as I'm doing that, then I'm doing my duty. Wrong. Wrong. And the one thing that they neglect is their own soul before the Lord. 
The one priority that they don't proactively pursue is devotion with the Lord. Time with the Lord. Reading the Word. Meditating on the Word. Memorizing the Word. Talking to God. Being alert in prayer. is all put on the back burner. Consequently, we don't have anything left in the tank to invest into our families, including our children. Because we're not pursuing the Lord ourselves. If you're going to stand firm in the Lord... In the faith, you need to be a a man of the word. A man who is saturating your thinking, not with the world and everything that the world is is, is putting before you, but you're being saturated with Scripture, with, with God's thoughts. Fathers, your greatest need, if you're going to stand firm in the faith, is to be in daily communion with God, growing in the faith, maturing in Christ. And what will this lead to? This will lead to you being tuned in, spiritually sensitive to the needs of your family, to the needs of your dear wife, to the needs of your dear children. This will lead to us, to you enjoying being actively engaged in the lives of your children. Be a man of God, a man of the Word. A man of the Word because everything... Everything, our investment in the home and in the church and in society flows from your relationship with the Lord. But when that relationship is neglected, when that relationship is ignored, the rest falls apart, right? It is such a key thing. Listen, one of the best memories that your children should have of you as a dad, of you as a father... Even with all of your weaknesses and inadequacies and all of that, which we all have, is that, boy, my dad was constantly with an open Bible at night, in the middle of the day, in the morning. My dad with an open Bible, in prayer, maybe with a journal, taking notes about what God was teaching him, and maybe a cup of coffee, right? Especially for me, I just can't. It's got to be the Word of God way up here and somewhere down here, my cup of coffee every morning, right? That should be a memory that your kids should have of you. That dad prioritizes communion with God. He needs to be with his heavenly father so that he could be a faithful father to me. May that be a memory, brothers, that our children would have of us. Be alert. Be firm. Loving encouragement. Loving exhortation number three. Be courageous. Be courageous. I love the translation in the New American Standard in verse 13. Act like men, he says. Act like men. One word in the Greek translates this. It's the third imperative, the third command of a mature, seasoned man of God, woman of God. That there is mature courage. It's got the idea of mature courage. Someone has said said that this word means to play the role of a man, to act or behave like a man. Boy, that's, that's unpopular in today's culture, isn't it? You don't tell people that. People get offended. People would get offended with this type of translation. Act like men. (laughs) What? What is that all about? It's not culturally appropriate. To tell someone to be a man is considered discriminating. It is narrow-minded, old-fashioned. It's not acceptable to call men to be masculine in today's culture, because we're living in a time when gender confusion is pushed forward, when women no longer behave like women, feminine, and men no longer behave like men, masculine. But hear me this morning. Fundamental to what it means to be a man is to display mature courage, and we should not be afraid of saying that. Amen? We should not be afraid of saying that. 
That men need to be masculine. And women need to be feminine in accordance with how God's Word defines that. Because when the Word speaks, the Bible speaks, God speaks. And nothing trumps that. Men are to have a warrior-like mentality with regard to life and be willing to stand in the gap for truth, be willing to stand in the gap for their wives, be willing to stand in the gap for their families. This is how God has wired men to be. This is so important, especially for us Fathers, brothers, for us to exemplify this type of courage and then teach our offspring that they need to be courageous as well for for Christ. Because what's the opposite? Cowardice. To be cowardly in life. And all around us we see this. How men are developing physically 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, but they remain babies in their thinking and conduct well into their latter years of life. This is what we're seeing in our society. More and more men are extending childhood, adolescence, well into their latter years of life. How sad. How sad. Never growing up. That's why Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. What's he saying? Folks, grow up. Grow up. Because as you think, so you will behave and act. Now, what does it mean to display courageous manhood as fathers? What does that mean? Well, this courage is is functional, isn't it? It's functional. It means we will flesh out as men courageous manhood in the fulfilling of our God-given responsibilities. We're going to flesh out biblical masculinity as fathers in the fulfilling of our roles and responsibilities in our home and in the church and in society. That's what biblical manhood comes down to. Fleshing this out. It means that men are to provide, men are to protect, men are to defend the weak and the helpless. To be mature and courageous like this means to, to put our lives on the line if need be for others, beginning with our wives and our children. Courage. Courage. And again, this is so countercultural, isn't it? So countercultural. Less and less men in our society display this kind of courage. More typical of our culture are men who, who conduct themselves cowardly. Men who are passive, men who are indifferent to their God-given responsibilities as husbands and fathers. Too many men are neutral. Too many men are absentee fathers. Too many men are present, but they're not really there. They may be present in their homes physically, but not really engaged with their families. Tuned into what's going on. So characteristic of our, of our world. It must not be for men who are in Christ, beloved brothers. Without ignoring the reality of so much hatred last year surrounding racial tensions, etc. You know one thing that was so often ignored? It was the number of absent fathers in the home of all different ethnicities. Men who've abandoned and abdicated their God-given role. That was huge. People didn't want to talk about that as well. But that needed to be put, brought into consideration. One of the greatest problems are are fatherless children in the world around us. And it must not be that way in the church. So dads, I want to lovingly encourage you to seize upon the, the opportunity. 
Seize upon the opportunity to act with courage by fulfilling the responsibilities that God has given you. Because what a blessing, isn't it? What a blessing to have a family. What a blessing to have children. What a privilege for us that what grace that we do not deserve. We don't deserve this grace. I've often commented to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you. What grace. What grace that I would have Andrea and the kids for a time. You would loaned them to me on this earth. Because they don't belong to us, men. Our wives and kids don't belong to us. God has loaned them to us. And he wants us to be a good steward of our families. I've often prayed, Lord, thank you. I can't believe that, that Andrea would submit to me. That she would submit to this wretched man saved by grace. It's a privilege. It's a joy. It's something that we ought to do with gratitude. We ought to pray that God would allow us to have that kind of gratitude in the way we care for our families. The fourth exhortation is closely related to being courageous. Encouragement, exhortation number four. Be strong. Be strong, verse 13. This is also fundamental to what it means to be masculine, to what it means to be a man. And I'm sure you would agree that it's especially in difficult times, in times of turmoil, that men are to display strength. That men, by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit, because we cannot do it apart from the Spirit of God, that we are to stand our ground when opposition is fierce in our society. Especially during those times that strong men rise by God's grace. Now please take note, you know this, that biblical strength and biblical courage is so different than the world, right? I mean, the world views strength as this. Don't ever show weakness. Put on a facade. Be self-sufficient. Come across like you don't need anyone. Don't ask anyone for help because that would imply incompetence. Generally speaking, that's the world around us. This is generally what we hear and see. But godly, manly strength is different. In fact, you will note that the verb here is in the passive voice. Literally, it's be strengthened. Be strengthened. The action is performed on you. Be strengthened. This means that we cannot do this ourselves apart from God. It's as we submit ourselves to the Lord that He strengthens us. He fills us with strength for a task that we are so inadequate for. One example of this was in the days of Joshua. Joshua, Moses, the greatest leader of Israel, had passed away. And now it was time for Joshua to take the baton from Moses and lead the nation of Israel. You remember that back in Joshua chapter 1? And God says to Joshua, this one thing I want you to do, three different times God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. But then he says in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous? And here's the key, ready? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's the key. There's the key. That's good stuff, isn't it? It's not about you, Joshua. It's about me. 
Joshua needed to remember in this, in this insurmountable task of leading Israel from a human perspective that it wasn't about the man at the helm or the man taking over. It was about the God who had infinite strength and infinite power to lead Joshua as he shepherded the people of God, Israel. It's all about the greatness of who God is. And men, when we are relying upon God and His unrivaled strength, we can accomplish anything He's called us to accomplish by His grace and in the power of His Spirit, right? By the way, learn to say that. And not just say it, but to really believe it. It's by His grace and in the power of His Spirit that I am who I am and I'm able to fulfill my God-given responsibilities. Amen? Believe it from your heart. Courageous, strong fathers are able to lead because their dependence is on God. I've met a lot of strong men like this, courageous men like this in my lifetime as a believer. And you know what's interesting about these men? Some of the strongest men I know are the most humble, God-dependent men that I know. You wouldn't think that. Humble, God-dependent men who are willing to acknowledge their deficiencies, acknowledge their weaknesses, but then they take the bull by the horns because of the grace of God and say, I am going to obey the Lord. It's a grateful, loving obedience in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to pursue this even in the midst of my inadequacies because when I am inadequate, God is adequate. Amen? He's adequate. He's strong. Listen, dads, if you feel weak today, God's Word tells us That we need to depend on one who is infinite in strength. Because the task of fatherhood is too great for us without the Lord. I love Psalm 18 verse 1. I love this psalm. Because it reminds me of strength and courage. But not strength and courage in me, in the Lord. Psalm 18 verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Hear all those terms? The Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then he says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. Why? Because he is strong, not myself. How might we fathers display strength in very difficult times? How might we fulfill our God-given responsibilities? It's by trusting and depending upon the Lord, for apart from Him, we can do nothing. Amen? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Fifth and final. Fifth and final. Be loving. Loving encouragement and exhortation number five is be loving. Look at verse 14. Let all you do be done in what? In love. Without this one, without love, everything that's been said will simply be cold, mechanical, robotic drudgery. I can promise you that because I have lived it in different seasons of my life. Without this, brothers, we are lacking desperately before the Lord. This is the case for all of us in the Christian life and in everything that we do for Christ, but especially in the task today that we're reminded of as fathers and fatherhood. Do you remember what Jesus said in Mark 12, 28? When asked, which is the greatest commandment? What did he say? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the beginning. You don't do that, then you can do the next. But then he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God flows on to love for other people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, but now if abide faith, no, now faith, hope, love abide. But the greatest of these is love. Love. Love is ultimately what everything comes down to. In fact, Paul has been exhorting them to be motivated by love for one another. Love would make it a lot easier for the church at Corinth to be uh, uh, unified. In chapters 1 through 3, he speaks of divisions amongst them. If they were loving one another, these would cease. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, he speaks of lawsuits against one another. If they were to love one another, they wouldn't be suing one another. In chapter 7, he speaks of the husband and wife relationships. If they were to love one another, that, those relationships would be strengthened. In chapters 8 through 10, he speaks of the abuse of the weak by the strong. If they were driven by love, the strong would be sensitive to the weak. It's because of their lack of love that they're abusing the Lord's table in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. They're not using their spiritual gifts for edification, for the building up of one another. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. All of these things have to do with a deficient love. On and on the list goes. On and on the list goes. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, Christian, keep fervent in your love for one another. That speaks of a, of a, of a passionate, stretching kind of love, a sacrificial kind of love that perseveres with one another, even in the midst of difficult things, First Peter says, like persecution and opposition in the Christian life and in the world. Keep fervent in your love for one another. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul has defined love. And you know this already. We don't have time to get into this right now, but 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 8. All of those love is, love is, love is are what? Actions. Verbs. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. All of those are action verbs. So as far as the nature of love itself, it's so different than the world. You need to define that these days, don't you? And you see out in the world, we just need to love each other. Love wins. Well, let's ask, what kind of love are you talking about? Because the Word of God defines love in a particular way. And one of the things that the Word of God says is that love is more, includes passions, affections, emotions, absolutely the full engagement of all of our faculties on the inside, our internal man and woman. It includes all emotions and affections and passions, but it fleshes itself out into action. Into action. See, worldly love is diminished to a feeling or a fleeting emotion that disappears after a while. And so people erroneously speak of falling out of love. I've heard husbands say that to me. Sit there and actually tell me, you know, I just, I just don't feel the same way for her anymore. I've fallen out of love. You're out of your mind is what's the matter with you. Because they're, they're diminishing love to an emotion. Biblical love includes emotion, passion, affection, but it fleshes itself out onto commitment. Amen? Commitment. Love that is most concerned with giving rather than getting. 
with sacrificing for others rather than serving oneself. It's a commitment. Here's a definition of biblical love for you. Ready? Love is the voluntary, self-sacrificial giving of yourself for the good of another person. Love is the voluntary, self-sacrificial giving of yourself for the good of another person. That's what's to characterize men, dads, the way that we shepherd and we lead our families, that we would be giving ourselves for them. Now, if you're like me, you think, or you say, you know what, brother, as a fellow brother, I fail every single day to love this way, to love my family this way. Amen. Amen. Every single day I can say the same thing. As I lay on that pillow and I'm talking to the Lord or I'm reading the Word, say, Lord, forgive me for my deficiencies. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that I am secure in Christ. But help me, Lord, tomorrow by your grace and in the power of your Spirit to be a man who pursues faithfulness before you. Every day we're deficient. But let me tell you something. Over my years of walking with the Lord, I can tell you that maturing love has not come in my life. And I'm sure you could say this yourself. It has not come by just hunkering down, doing better, working harder, by raising ourselves up by by our own moral bootstraps, by giving ourselves guilt trips galore, do better, do gooder. It doesn't come that way. It doesn't come that way. Maybe for a time you see some things. Perhaps you can identify. But none of these have ever helped me too much, at least from the heart, move me to long-term, growing, maturing love for others, including my family. And so listen carefully. If you hear anything about this particular point, listen to this. The greatest way that we can learn to grow in love as fathers is to daily reflect upon and relish in God's amazing love for us in Christ Jesus. We sang about it at the beginning, right? The love of God. How rich and pure, immeasurable in who? In Christ. Look at the cross. Men, if you want to grow in a passionate, fervent, deep, sustainable love, you and I, by the grace of God, then we need to daily be preaching the gospel to ourselves and be reminded of God's love for us at the cross of Christ. As our brother, Pastor Jay, was reminding us earlier, Look at the love of God at the cross that we have been purchased. Jesus has died for our sins. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended. He's returning once again to judge the living and the dead. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. If we're going to grow in love toward our families, dads, toward our children, young and older, towards others, then we need to be reflecting upon God's love for us. And in this gospel, we're reminded that none of us have done everything to earn his love. None of us have done anything performance-wise to receive that love. God loves us because of his son. Because of his son. There's nothing like the Christian gospel of grace. Amen? And what is grace? God's unmerited, undeserved blessing and favor shown toward us in Christ Jesus. Someone has defined grace like this. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that. I love that. 
The gospel is this. God has lavished his love, dad, father, his kindness, his goodness, his mercy, and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places toward you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Can I get amen? Amen. And we were reminded of that. This is the way that you and I then can, out of the overflow of understanding God's love outside, objectively outside of us, when we understand that love, then we can subjectively be practicing love towards others, right? Out of the overflow of that. 1 John 4.10, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. That is the the wrath-removing sacrifice. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so fellow dads, fellow fathers, how is your love life this morning? I'm not talking about your romantic life. I'm asking you, how fervent is your love for your wife and for your kids in affection and in attitude and in action? How fervent is it this morning? Are you fulfilling your God-given responsibilities out of a love and appreciation to the Lord for what He's done for you in Christ? Let us learn to preach the gospel to ourselves daily that we might be loving fathers. So these are these five loving encouragements. Loving exhortations, men, for my fellow dads this morning. May God help us be faithful in this area. Amen? And I encourage you in closing. Listen, this is the year of discipleship, and really every day should be about disciple-making because that is the Great Commission. But we especially have called this year the, the, the theme of discipleship. And so I want to encourage you in closing. Listen, if you are a dad, older or younger, who needs help, Humbly seek it out. Humbly seek it out. Pride is shown not only in an explicit sort of arrogant attitude, but also in a subtle attitude of self-dependence and self-sufficiency, right? The attitude that says, you know what? I can do this on my own. I don't want anybody to know my weaknesses. I want to continue to put on the facade. I want everybody to perceive me a certain way. That is pride. That is subtle pride. Listen, humble yourself. None of us are where we should be. Humble yourself. Don't be a proud husband, a proud dad. Reach out to older men in the church who can disciple you, who can help you be a Christ-like husband and father. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are the perfect father. We're reminded of that today. And yet we thank you for the fact that you have been so gracious to us. That in the face of concerning times, tumultuous times, Lord, you have helped us as your people. Continue to walk in the truth by your grace. Continue to pursue obedience in these areas. Lord, who is adequate to be a faithful father? Father, thank you for the fact that we can learn from you. We can emulate your character and all that you've done for us by your grace. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.